Well, uh, as Bex already mentioned, it's my privilege uh, to open up God's Word uh, to you today. And I wanted to start by asking you to reflect on a question. I'm going to give you, like, a last question, then I'll give you, like, 10 seconds just to reflect, just to get it in your head. What do you see is your role in the live, lives of the younger generations of believers? What, do you, what is it that you have to offer them? I'll give you 10 seconds to have a bit of a think. Well, today, as we are going to explore Psalm 78, um, it's a psalm that you might find really encouraging. You might also find it quite challenging because it outlines the role of ensuring that the next generation is set up to follow the Lord. And it's a responsibility that, that falls on all of us, you included, no matter who you are. Um, and it kind of, as the psalm goes on, we see that as we kind of shirk this responsibility, it ends up with some dire results. But my hope is that as we reflect on this psalm for a little while, you'll see that every single person here ha has some really great and significant things that they can invest in seeing the faith passed on to the next generation. And so, as we get into it, let me pray and ask God to, to help us understand his word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, that through it you speak to us, you tell us about yourself, you tell us about us, uh, and, and how we ought to live in light of what you've done. And Lord, we pray that today, as we, as we take a look at some verses in Psalm 78, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand and accept what, what you have to say to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, now, hopefully, uh, you've got a Bible or a phone app with a Bible on it that you can take a look at uh, as we're reading. I'm going to kind of just go through it verse by verse, read a verse and then, and then explain a bit. Um, so, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm, 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 uh, I'll read it out as well. The first thing to notice as you open up your Bible to, to Psalm 80, uh, 78 is that you can see it's, there's a heading there that says it's a Psalm of Asaph. Uh, Asaph was a guy... Um, who was the leader of the temple musicians back in the Old Testament uh, during the time of King David. And so his role was leading Israel in, and, and in songs of praises to God to teach them the truths of, of God, the truths of, of who they were. And here in Psalm 78, this is one of the ones that he wrote. This is a song that he wrote for Israel to teach them how they ought to think about their role in the lives of the future generation. So that's... Uh, kind of the, the, who wrote the psalm. We get to verse 1 here, and I'll, I'll read it out to us. It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable, and I'll utter hidden things from of old. Now, when I kind of hear, when I just read those first few verses, it kind of reminds me of one of those old, corny old kind of campfire songs, um, you know, where, where there's kind of, you're sitting around a fire, and like the, the, the old guy grabs his guitar, you can, you can imagine Graham Thomas picking up his guitar and saying, come now people, gather around, listen to what I have to say. Um, that's kind of how this is starting, that's what I, that's what I picture in my head. Um, uh, basically what Asaph's doing is he's, he's saying, hey, listen up, what I have to say is important, so make sure you're, you're listening to what I have to say, make sure you hear it. But the next thing he tells us is that it's not something that they, they should be surprised by. It's not something that they've never heard before. Verse 3, he kind of clarifies, these are things that we have heard. 
things that we know, things that our ancestors have told us. The, the story that he's about to share, God's people should already be familiar with. Um, then their stories that have been passed along to them from previous generations, and he's about to say, we need to ensure we keep on passing those on as well to those who follow us. Verse 4, he says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he's done. Now, my kids, um, they love hearing stories about my childhood exploits. One of their favourite things to do after dinner is to just drill me with questions about what I used to get up to as a kid, the mischief, the mischief I'd get up to my friends, the funny things that I would do. And they just kind of just sit there and all laughing at the, the, the ridiculous things that I got up to. Um, and it's fun, but, but it's actually significant as well. It's, and the reason I think they love these stories so much is because as we laugh about weird little Maddie Bartlett, um, it gives them a better sense of me as a person, as they hear stories about me. Um, and it affirms their affinity with me uh, as an important person in their world, their dad. But in doing that, it also affirms something for them about their identity uh, because of the relationship that we have as father and child. It affirms who they are as it affirms something about who we are together because of who I am. Do you get what I'm, kind of, what I'm saying there? That's what stories, what's what sharing stories does. It helps to affirm our, our identity as a member of a community of, or a family. And I think that's why Asaph here is really um, stressing the, the fact about sharing stories, about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Because... As we share those stories, they give us a sense of who our Heavenly Father is and therefore who we are as His people. And when you stop and think about it, God has done some extremely praiseworthy things throughout history, hasn't He? What are some of the praiseworthy deeds? I'm not expecting answers here. Don't just think about it in your head. This is not a rhetorical question. I want you to call some out. What are some of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord that you can think of that you know about, either from you know spending lots of years in kids' church or from reading your Bible? What are, what are some that, that stand out to you guys? He made this beautiful world. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. And the incredible thing about that is, is how he made it, right? Just He made it out of nothing just by speaking. That's pretty praiseworthy. Yeah. What else? Yeah, his faithfulness. And we see that on display time and time and time again throughout the Bible, don't we? Yeah, great. Any other big notable stories about God that stick out in your mind? Yeah. He sent his son, Jesus, to do like incredible things, including probably one of the hardest, the hardest thing, dying on the cross for us, for sure. Maybe one more if we've got one. Yeah. Yeah, and what, what promise was that? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, fulfilling promises. And I mean, that one about descendants, right? Like, he fulfilled that to Abraham when he was 100. Like, he was 100, his wife Sarah was 90, and they had, they had their kid at that point. That's, 
I mean, I don't think anyone here is quite that old, but you know, could you imagine? Like, I'm, I'm only in my 30s, and I'm like, oh man, that's, that's something that's just too much for me to bear even now. Um, 100 years old, crazy. Um, there's, there's countless of stories, you know. He's, uh, the, the stuff that he did bringing Israel out of Egypt and, and the, the plagues and the, the kind of incredible things, the ways that he worked through the prophets, um, especially that story about Elijah calling fire down from heaven. Like, there's some incredibly noteworthy and praiseworthy things that God has done through the Bible. Um, and they're not just fairy tales. They are stories of truth, which have been passed on from one generation to the next uh, to affirm our identity and our faith in the Lord. And so here's Asaph exhorting his people to, to, to do that and to ensure that they don't fail to continue passing the lessons, these lessons on to the next generation. We've got to keep on passing them on. Why? Verse 5. He, God, decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them and even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children. Asaph is so intent on exhorting the people of God to pass on the news of his awesomeness because if we don't tell them, who will? If we want future generations to know and love the Lord, the only way that's going to happen is if they hear about him, if we tell them we tell the next generation Uh, and then as we do that it's preparing them to tell the next generation after them in order to tell the generation that comes after that and it just keeps on going on like that throughout the generations and this is all in line with so you saw the words uh, decree statutes for Jacob established law in Israel what he's talking about there is a place in Deuteronomy uh, which is the book kind of all about the law particularly Deuteronomy 6 which is an, an important passage where it says to the community of God's people, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on doorposts of the house, on your gate. Just stressing over and over again how important it is to be clear about what God has said, what he expects, what he's done, and making sure we continue telling that. Do everything you can to make sure the following generations of God's people know what he's said and knows what he's done so that they would know how to live as the saved people of God. And so that, verse 7, they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. So the whole objective of telling the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord is so that they would put their trust in in him that they would have faith in him and not not like that uncertain kind of fingers crossed kind of faith you know where you're not really quite sure but you hope against hope Um, the kind of faith he's talking about here is a confident conviction like a trust in God that's based on this information that has been passed down to them from the people that they know and love and respect it's a kind of resilient faith that's at your core and frames how you approach all of life. And this is the kind of faith that Asaph was exhorting God's people to be working to instill in the following 
uh, generations of Israel so that they don't end up like some of their ancestors who were faithless. So you can see verse 8 there. They would not, so that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. So he's warning that when we don't, when God's people don't do this, it ends up in a bad place. As Asaph is writing this psalm, as I mentioned before, he was kind of during the time of King David, when David was on the throne. And if you have spent any much time in the Bible, and if you know your Bible timeline, I loved how uh, the Bible reading you guys had uh, the, all the, the, uh, the, the different books up there and where it fits situated in, in the overall story. That's fantastic. And if you know the overall story and where this fits, you'll know that up until this point in history, there's been a pretty bad track record, actually, for Israel. There's times when they've been completely stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful. Um, and you can read about that in the books of basically Exodus to 1 Samuel, in the kind of the first half of the, of the Old Testament there. But if you want to kind of just get the abridged version uh, that takes much less time to read, then the remaining, you know, 70-odd verses of Psalm 78, that's what it goes into. It kind of re- reminds Israel of a whole bunch of these stories where Israel have not ensured they passed on the faith to the next generation and the next generation's gone off track. Uh, we're not going to read it all today, but some of the, as I read through it, I have to say, it reminds me of the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, most people are kind of familiar with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, either seen the, 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 um, the inferior Johnny Depp version of the movie or the superior uh, Gene Wilder version, um, or maybe you've read the books. Um, but the whole kind of, the, the, the story of, of, of Ch- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is Willy Wonka opens up his wondrous chocolate factory to five young kids and their adults, and he's willing to give his candy over to them and his heart over to these kids, and even make them, or at least one of them, heirs of his chocolate kingdom. But as you go through the story, the cycle of selfish ignorance from these children is astounding. Despite Willy Wonka's warnings, um, one after one, they ignore him and they suffer the consequences. Augustus Gloop gets sucked up the pipe. You know, Violet Beauregard gets turned into a big blueberry. Veruca Salt goes down the rubbish chute. Mike TV shrunken into a tiny version of himself. Only faithful Charlie takes heed of the warning and only he remembers that Willy, all that Willy Wonka has done for him. And so, spoiler He's the sole inheritor of the chocolate candy kingdom. And like that story, this story of Israel in the remaining verses of the psalm, you just see just over and over again, people not learning from the mistakes of the people that went before them, just continuing to make selfish decisions in their ignorance. In verse 9 to 16, we see amazing miracles of God performed in Egypt, ignored, completely forgotten, by the very generation who saw them with their own eyes. Like, they saw all that stuff happen, like the Nile turning to blood. They saw the plague of frogs. Now, all that stuff, they saw it. They get out of the land and they they forget about it, ignore it. Um, Verses 17 to 31 uh, recounts when Israel kind of got out of Egypt and then they start complaining about the food, completely ignoring the fact that God has just saved them from slavery like intense slavery 
and they get out about the start reminiscing. Oh, I remember the good old days in Egypt when we could eat tasty food. Um, and it's just incredible uh, how their, their kind of their disrespect. God even then provides them with some good food, some manna and quail, and they still kind of reject it. And they just keep on sinning and sinning. And then you get to verse 32, um, and it says this, in spite of all the stuff that God did, Israel kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. And through the whole rest of the psalm, we see a downward cycle where there's disobedience leading to judgment from God and then kind of insincere repentance. But yet, there's a continuing theme there where God shows mercy and grace to them, despite their respect, their disrespect sorry, of him. It's a, it's, a, it's a frustrating story as you read it. Um, and this, what Asaph is saying is this is how things end up when God's people don't own the responsibility of passing on the faith to the next generation um, that comes after us. Now, in the psalm, there is hope. It gets to the point where God doesn't simply let the story continue on in this downward cycle. Instead, he intervenes. Um, and in the final part of the psalm, Asaph draws our attention to the fact that God calls King David to come and be a shepherd of his people, to lead them back to godliness. And that's what David does, more or less. And then as we read through the Bible beyond this, we know that it's actually the Lord Jesus who is the true shepherd, who, who truly leads his people and through whom we see some of the most praiseworthy deeds of the Lord as he died on the cross as that once-for-all sacrifice to deal with our sin problem and then rising back to life again. So Jesus is God's solution to the fact that we keep failing to remember what God has done and we keep failing to pass on the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. He fixes all those, those problems that exist due to our sin and he works in our hearts despite our failure to, to perfectly live out his plan. And this is a great and significant truth for the people of God which I hope you find comfort in because it means that despite our failings, we will never prevent God from carrying out his plan. He always does exactly what he, what he intends to. And that's a great comfort. I find that a great comfort. But when we take that truth for granted, it can also result in us being a little too okay with dropping the ball when it comes to living out the faith and when it comes to passing on the faith. The fact that Jesus covers our sin. Uh, that covers our lack. The fact that God continues showing mercy to us does not mean that it's okay for us to disengage from the responsibility that he has for us, particularly in passing on the faith of the next generation. And, and Psalm 78 is a bit of a rally cry from Asaph to make sure that God's people, as a community, don't shirk from that responsibility. And so what I want to do for the last few minutes of, of, of this sermon is to spend some time just reflecting on a few application points uh, for ver the various members of the people of God because uh, as we can see we all bear this responsibility no matter who we are no matter our age our stage our skills we all bear the responsibility and so I've got a few things first one is this intentional discipleship of young people has to be a priority in the church now, when I say discipleship, what I mean by that is teaching young people God's word through rela genuine relationships. So, 
that's discipleship, teaching God's word through genuine relationships. And this is why we read uh, the, the little bit from 2 Timothy before as well. Because the last part of it, so after Paul, he's speaking to Timothy and he kind of reflects on some of the sufferings and hardships that he has, uh, and he's encouraging Timmy, Timothy, he says this, he says, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. There's a, there's a genuine relationship there. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. It's God's word in relationship. Effective discipleship starts at a young age, is based in God's word and happens in the context of, a gen- of genuine relationships. Now, um, I, you've, you've probably got the sense from when I was kind of talking with Beck before, like I, I know Robertson a, a bit, I, I know Beck quite well, I know, I know Graham pretty well and there's a bunch of you guys that I know pretty well and so I actually think that, that you guys are doing a re- pretty good job of this. Um, you guys have plenty of, of, of programs for young people, you've got Kids Church happening at the moment, Crash. you've got other stuff happening through the week, uh, you've got Ribs which I've been to a couple of times, um, teach SRE in school, so you, you guys kind of take this responsibility you know, well, which is great. Um, uh, and Beck and the team of leaders do a great job of, of engaging with young people, teaching them God's word in genuine relationships. And I want to encourage you as a church to, to keep doing this. Uh, and, and in order to encourage you, I want to tell you some stats which kind of really underline the importance of continuing to prioritise ministry with the young people. Um, first one is this, and th- like both of these stats come out of something called the National Church Life Survey, which some of you might have filled out recently. We haven't got the latest results uh, to be able to do the data, so this is off the, old, the, the one before that. Um, but f- according to the National Church Life Survey, around about 8 in 10 Christians in the Sydney Diocese made their decision to live for Jesus before the age of 20. Statistically, that's huge. Like, Eight out of ten, that before the age of 20, that that's the age they put their lot in with Jesus. Now, I want to kind of do a bit of a test to see if that is true. So, I mean, if, if that's true for you, if you decided to live for Jesus before you turned 20, can you put your hand up? I reckon that's probably a little more than 80% in this church to turn true. Yeah, it's true. This is a real statistic um, that that it's, it's in these young ages as people are... Um, kind of forging their identity that they decide to live for Jesus. And that's a really encouraging stat. But there's another one that's a, a bit less encouraging, and that's this. 40% of kids who grow up in church will have walked away from the faith before they turn 25. Yeah, 40%. So think about all the, the kids and the, and the teenagers that are kind of under 25 that are here today Four out of ten of them, according to the stats, not following Jesus by the time they're 25. And, you know, maybe as you reflect, if you've been around church for a while, you might be able to reflect on some. I I certainly, I've been in youth ministry for a long time, and I can reflect on a lot of young people that have come through my youth groups that are no longer walking with Jesus. Passing on the faith through intentional, word-based, relational discipleship with young people is critical and must continue being a priority of the church if we're going to see young people continue with Jesus. So that's the first kind of application point I wanted to say. The second one is this. The discipleship of the young people in our church communities it has to be owned by the community as a whole. Like, it's everyone. It's 
what we see in the Bible as we read it is that it's that God has given parents the primary responsibility for discipling their children um, and there are plenty of reasons why theological reasons practical reasons even statistical stuff um, that I'm, I'm not going to go into for the sake of time but that's how God said that parents are the primary responsibility but the Bible and you know we see this in Psalm 78 is very clear that the church community as a whole plays a complementary role in that that we also all have a responsibility um, if you have your Bible there, you can look at verse 4 again, which says, you know, you'll notice it's, it doesn't say, we will recruit a team of youth leaders and kids' church teachers who will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, does it? It says, we will tell the next generation. All of us. It's fantastic to have a, a, a kids' minister or a youth minister. It's great to run youth and kids' programs through the week and to recruit a bunch of leaders to do. They're very good things. But discipling young people is about much more than just what happens in those programs throughout the week. Um, and the biblical imperative is that everyone takes ownership. Um, that parents and church members team up to make sure the faith gets passed on to the next generation. Now, I don't think that this means that everyone needs to sign up to youth group as a youth leader or as a creation. Don't, don't worry, you don't have to do that. That's something, I don't think that's the natural thing that necessarily has to happen. Um, but it does mean that everyone can and does play a significant role of dis- uh, in the life and discipleship of young people in the church. And that's my third thing that I wanted to say. Everyone can and does play a significant role in the life and discipleship of young people in the church. No matter who you are, no matter what your skill set is, what your experience is with young people, what your age or ability... Everyone has a role to play in passing on the next generation. And so I wanna, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to talk uh, uh, to the older generation and then I'm going to talk the, to the younger generation. Now, I'm going to let you decide which category you fit into. I'm not going to presume to tell you whether you're, whether you're an old guy or a young guy. Um, uh, and actually, in various situations, you know, you can kind of fit into both, right? Because for the great majority of us, there's always someone older there's always someone younger. Um, but firstly, a word to the older. Now, I've spoken to, to lots of older people uh, at the churches that I visit, and you know, their, their hearts are warmed when young people are following Jesus. And sometimes as I speak with them, I hear them say things like, oh, it's so important for the young ones to come to know Jesus. And then there's a but. There's always a but. Oh, it's so important that they come to know Jesus, but... I've done my time with kids. I'm too old now. I just can't keep up with them. Oh, it's so important, but the world's just so different from when I was young. I, I, I just don't understand kids these days. Or oh, it's so important, but I just, don't, I just don't feel like I have anything to offer them. They need someone younger than me who they can relate to. I hear, I hear these things over and over again, and maybe some of those sentences resonate with you. And it's really understandable. But the problem is they focus too much on what we feel we can't do. But what about what you can do? What about what you do have to offer? Um, In my job, I get to talk to lots of people. um, And recently, I was talking to a man who was telling me about a guy in his church, an elderly man. He was approaching 90. Um, He was disabled, restricted to a wheelchair. 
he had a multitude of sicknesses. He's one of those guys that, you know, you know um, it's kind of all the different ailments they have is what kind of holds them together still. They've just, their whole existence is taking medicine. Um, and he was one of those kind of old guys and he was thinking, what in a man, what, what, what kind of a man, sorry, what can a man in that situation do to kind of invest in the next generation? Well, he was telling me that what he, this man did is he got his carer to set up his wheelchair every Sunday morning next to the morning tea table. Um, and as he kind of sat there, he, w- he would call out the names of the young people that he sees. Like, come over here. Uh, and uh, he would ask them to help him just make his cup of tea. Uh, ask, him to, uh, ask him to grab a piece of cake for him. And as he was doing that, he would ask them just about themselves, about their lives, what they did over the week, what they'd been learning about Jesus in kids' church or at youth group, what their plans were for the week ahead. And then the next week, he'd get his carer to set him up next to the morning tea table, and he'd call those kids back over, and he'd ask them, I'd say, how was your week? I've been praying for you. You told me this, and I've been praying for you. How did it go? And he just made these tiny but regular investments in this, his relationship uh, with these kids. It doesn't seem like very much. But eventually, this man passed away. Um, and uh, this man I was talking to was a minister at the church, and he said that his daughter was really concerned that at his funeral there was going to be no one, really, just a bunch of family. Um, But on the day, there was standing room only in the building because the room was filled with the young people from church who had come along because of the impact that he'd had on their lives just by caring about them, just by praying for them, that he'd had a huge impact on on who they were and their, um, I guess, validating them as members of the community of believers. And it was a small but immensely valuable investment. What about you? What can you do? Can you have a conversation? Can you pray? Can you share your life experiences, your stories uh, with the young people around you? Because the truth is, the older you are, the more wisdom and experiences you have from life that younger Christians can hear about. And so share it with them. You, you don't have to be the person running around playing soccer with the, with the, uh, the upper primary boys. You don't have to be the, the, the person talking Minecraft and Pokemon or whatever with, with, the, with whoever. But don't shy away from your responsibility to just share your stories, passing on your faith to the next generation. And the, actually the onus as I read the Bible, I see that the onus is on the older person, to, the more experienced person, to, take, to be the one to take the initiative. So don't, don't wait around for one of the young punks to come talk to you. Be the one who takes initiative. As Asaph says, don't hide your knowledge and experience. Share it with them. So that's my word to the older. Now a word to the younger. Sometimes you may have heard older people say something like, oh, young people these days... You know, they've got no respect. They think they know everything. Has anyone heard that kind of phrase before? Um, now, you and I, young people, you and I know that that's not true. I mean, put your hand up here if you have no respect for old people and you think you know everything. I put my hand down just like something back. <laughs> like, it's not true, is it? But what older people mean when they say something like this is that they're feeling upset because it seems like you don't really listen that you're not really willing to listen to them. I hope that you can see from what we've, from what we've experienced from Psalm 78 today, I hope that you can see that the older generation of believers really has something extraordinary to offer you. 
it's of such value for you and your journey with Jesus. And so if you are willing to spend just a little time listening to them, investing in a friendship with them, then they are going to be an immense blessing and encouragement to you uh, and your walk with Jesus because that's how God has set things up to work. I reflect on my experience and I can think of all, all these old, much older people who just, what, they just loved me, they just said stuff, they just spoke to me and they've had some of the most profound impacts in my life as a Christian. Um, now you've just heard me say to the, to the older guys that the onus is on them to take the responsibility to come and chat with you guys. And I, and I strongly believe that. But also, the onus is on you too to show willingness to listen to them, to talk with them, to show humility and respect to them as your elders by actually engaging with them, not just with grunts and sniffs and whatever, but with actual conversation. And this is a challenge that I'm giving you younger people for two reasons. One is because by God's grace, over time, you'll be able to see the immense benefit that they have been to you in your, your life, your journey with Jesus. But also, the second reason is because eventually you're going to get older. Eventually you're going to be the person kind of in a wheelchair next to the morning tea table. And so it's so that you will know what to do when you're your older as well. How are you setting yourself up now to be a faithful disciple when you're a much older person? Brothers and sisters, Let's take heed of this warning uh, and instruction from Psalm 78 and ensure that we do all that we can to take seriously our responsibility to invest in the future generations of believers and pass on the faith to them to see them continue with Jesus. Let me finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the incredible things that you've done throughout history for our sake. Lord, give us a strong conviction not to hide the praiseworthy deeds that you've done but to pass them on so that the next generation would know them that a children yet to be born would know you and that they in turn would tell their children about you but we pray for the following generations after us that they would put their trust in you and would not forget your deeds but would commit keep your commands and we pray this in jesus name amen